Welcome. Go ahead and take a seat. My name is Josh. I'm on staff here at Shore Church. Good to see you all this morning. We are, if you've been with us, working through um, Corinthians 12, 13, 14 in a series we've called just spiritual gifts, uh, learning to enjoy and experience uh, these gifts of the spirit that are laid out for us here. And if you've been with us in chapter 12, we spent some time, I think it was like seven weeks, zeroing in on some of the specific gifts that Paul has listed there. These gifts uh, we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, um, that to each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, meaning that every single redeemed believer has been given a gift. And these are different from natural talents and abilities or dispositions or attitudes or whatever it may be, strengths or weaknesses. These are different things. These are post-conversion, spirit-deposited gifts to be used for the common good, the building up and the building out of God's church. So to use an analogy, chapter 12 was Paul unpacking what are the vehicles that God has given us to build up and to build out his church. So the gifts of the spirit are the vehicles that God has given us to build up and to build out his church. And then for the past couple of weeks, James has been walking through chapter 13, where Paul talks there about love. And really what he's saying is love is the fuel for these gifts. Love is the fuel for these vehicles. So the gifts of the spirit are the vehicles that God has given us to build up and out his church. And love is what fuels these vehicles. We're going to be continuing on this morning, crossing over into chapter 14 and what will be the final three weeks of this series. And chapter 14, we can think of it this way. Paul's going to begin to start laying out some instructions, some guidelines for the use of these gifts. They're like the driver's manual. So if the gifts are the vehicle and love is the fuel, chapter 14, he's going to provide some, some driver's manual, some tips, some instructions, some guidelines for the use of of these gifts. Now, go ahead, open your Bibles up. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we're going to be working. Um, you'll probably see in your Bibles, right on top of the 14, a little word that says prophecy and tongues. Those are the two gifts we're going to begin to zero in on. And in particular, um, look at how Paul lays out for these to function. And if you've been around the church for any length of time at all, you know that these are um, hot topics. They're, um, they're a little contentious for some. There's a lot of disagreement around whether these should be used, whether they still continue. And I know in this room, just to, to acknowledge it, there's a wide variety of convictions. Convictions around where we land. And so uh, this is going to excite some. It's going to make some uncomfortable. And um, I just want to thank James. These are my final few weeks with you guys. So um, he wants to make sure you guys don't miss me, I think. Um, I'm, of course, kidding. James, thank you. Honored that you've allowed me to preach this. And um, not just for the next three weeks, but the last three years, James has given me lots of pulpit time as I fanned into flame the gifts God's put in me. I'm getting, we will miss you. We'll miss you, but I'm looking forward to the next three weeks. We're going to need to pray because this is a mighty topic and I'm weeping already. Father, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a good God that loves us, has set, sent your son to die on our behalf, who died and rose again and, and gave gifts to men. You, you went and you sent the Holy Spirit and you have given gifts for the building up of your church and apart from your Holy Spirit, this would be an impossible task that none of us is cut out for. I'm not cut out for the work that you've given me this morning apart from the Holy Spirit's gifting. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, please minister through me for the benefit of this whole body. Ignite the words that you've written down in scripture. And I'm just, I'm wholly dependent on you. So I plead for your presence and, um, and I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So um, the next two weeks, we're going to be working predominantly out of verses 1 to 33. 1 to 33 of 1 Corinthians 14. And you're going to see um, these two gifts, prophecy and tongues, kind of come up um, interlaced. 
this chapter's dealing with them together. We're going we're gonna to separate them and deal with them one by one just so that they make sense. So this week, we're going to be um, taking a look specifically at the gift of tongues. And I want to begin by defining what it is I'm referring to when I say the gift of tongues. So this is up on the screen. This is uh, a quote I stole from Sam, Sam Storm. Some of you have this book. I think we have it out at the bookshop. You could grab it. I think it's a pretty helpful book. Um, he says this, the gift of tongues is the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or that you might have learned in school. I don't know how helpful that is. We're going to unpack this at much greater depth over the course of this morning, but just to get that up there in front of your eyes now, um, the gift of tongues, the spirit-energized ability to pray, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one that you might have learned in school. Now, if you're new to Christianity or maybe just checking church out for the first time, I get it. This sounds crazy. Um, some of you, maybe you're thinking of leaving. We've locked the doors. Sit tight. Um, I know this sounds crazy. I know this sounds crazy, but all the gifts of the Spirit are crazy if we properly understand them. The idea of divine revelation from God is crazy. The idea of being able to pray for someone and they get healed, that's crazy sauce. That's completely crazy. The idea of being able to distinguish between spirits, that's no less crazy than this. This is crazy. So clear in the air. But there's something even stranger and weirder about somebody speaking in a language that they don't even understand, isn't there? It's a little weird. If you've ever witnessed this in person, pretty weird. I, um, I want to beg you, though, please don't disregard it too quickly. Some here, you've had bad experiences that have left a bad taste in your mouth. Your hackles are up already. Maybe somebody tried to force you to speak in them. Maybe you were in a really bizarre expression of this. Please don't disregard it too quickly. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Probably some dirty bathwater that needs to be thrown out but let's not be throwing any babies. Um, when I was a kid, I left the Jehovah's Witnesses. My family moved over to a very charismatic church in my hometown. I remember I'd sit in the back, and by the door was this man who would hand out pamphlets. And um, once the service got going, he would just begin praying, singing in this different language. And not a very ethnically diverse community I grew up in, so I kind of thought he was like from a different country. I, I had no clue what was going on. I remember asking my mom, like, what's going on with dude at the door? And, and she tried to explain to me, hey, this is actually praying in, in tongues. And I'm like six or seven. Makes zero sense. I don't think you could be 70 and this isn't going to make sense. I was confused. But then from there, um, fast forwarding a couple years, um, my second exposure was probably at summer camp. I remember going to summer camp, and I had this really radical camp counselor, We're still friends on Facebook, Nolan Clark. Nolan Clark gets up at campfire, and he says, nobody leaves until you're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was pretty normative for camp. Um, <laughs> then I can remember a few years later, my pastor coming up to me. Um, this is even before he baptized me in his backyard pool, praying that I would receive baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, in some of the churches I grew up in and around, uh, there was this idea that there was really two categories of Christians. There was Christians that had the Holy Spirit and those who didn't. Some had two-thirds of the Trinity. The rest had the full deity, Trinitarian Godhead. And the ones who had the Holy Spirit, um, they were what is referred to as baptized in the Holy Spirit. They, they were prayed over, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the evidence of this was that they could speak in tongues. So the de facto evidence was that they could speak in tongues. Now, I was about 12 or 13 at the time, um, just devouring the Bible. I was a giant Bible nerd then, too. And I, I knew verses like Mark 16, 16, Jesus saying, these signs will accompany those who believe. They will, they will cast out demons and they'll speak in new tongues. I knew verses like Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit descended and it was appeared like flames of fire or tongues of fire on them and they spoke in different languages. I knew 1 Corinthians 12 and the gifts of the Spirit. 
And, and what I knew is that I wanted everything God had for me, and I didn't want to be somebody who didn't have all of the Holy Spirit. Though I now disagree that tongues is a de facto evidence of, speak, of, of being baptized in the Holy Spirit or of having the Holy Spirit, when my pastor prayed for me, I did end up speaking in tongues. And I did for a number of years. Um, but then I started to hang out with some Baptists. <laughs> and they had some different thoughts on, on what, I, or what I was doing and what I was experiencing. And they took me to a number of scriptures and told me that all of these gifts had ceased right around the time of Jesus. And what I was doing was um, actually speaking in a demonic language. And not wanting to be a tool of Satan, I stopped speaking in them. And I went from thinking that tongues were gifts that God gave to his favorite children to thinking that I was Satan's marionette in just a couple of weeks. Just a couple of weeks. And I became very cautious and very, very suspicious of all of these gifts for a long, long time. I threw the baby out with the bathwater. And some of you were in that place this morning. A positive result, um, just, just to not completely poo-poo on Baptists. I love Baptists. But I began to study my scripture with a lot more ferocity. I, I began to understand things, I think, a little differently. Understand some different perspectives. And it really forced me into my Bible. Um, and, and, and this is important to note because experience does not trump scripture. Experience does not trump scripture. And some, some of us have, have built our theology purely around our experience. Some of us have built our theology around bad experiences. Both are equally dangerous. We need to build our theology around the word of God. Solely around the word of God. And some, I, I can hear it in your heads, you're going, Josh, you're putting the Holy Spirit in a box. No, I'm not. He did it. The Holy Spirit put himself in a box. He wrote this. And so I'm not, I don't want to do anything. I just want to properly understand this. And so this morning, don't want to ask you to open your minds. We just want to open our Bibles. Open our Bibles. Now, I spent several years, like a decade, wrestling through how to properly understand these gifts. And the conclusion that I've come to is that both of these camps, I don't know that I would land in either one anymore. I think that there was some, some dangerous um, positions held in both of them. And I know that there are some in this room who fall into both of those camps this morning. This has been a, my biggest challenge in this in the lead up to preaching is that I, I know a lot of you and I know that there's diversity. It's actually what I really love about this body. There's no um, homogenousness around this. And, and I want to thank you for your grace in a series like this. My hope is that some this morning will come to understand this, hopefully in a, a little bit of a different light. I think some of us have to. And others who, in this place that I was in for years, might even come to enjoy this gift. I just put my cards on the table. I think there's some here that the Spirit wants to cause to enjoy some of these gifts a little more. Um, we're in 1 Corinthians, just beginning to read, it says... Chapter 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We'll stop right there. This word pursue is the Greek word dioko. You can leave the verse up on the screen, it's fine. It's the Greek word dioko, and it means to run swiftly, to run swiftly after something. So he's saying, run swiftly after love, and then the next thing he says is earnestly desire, and it's this Greek word zelu. Zelu, it kind of means like intense desire. And when he says earnestly desire, he actually uses zelu, zelu. It means really intensely desire, real intense desire. Really intensely desire, wanting the gifts. That's what he's saying. So we should be, as we grow up, in this type of love that James has unpacked and Paul written down for us in chapter 13. As we grow up in that, we should be wanting vehicles to drive with this newfound fuel. That's what he's saying. We need to get excited about the gifts because they're the means to expend and, and spread this love that he's put in our hearts. 
Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue, tongues unless someone interprets. So Paul's beginning to contrast between prophecy and tongues. And again, we're going to talk about prophecy next week. Um, but what he's saying is, is whereas prophecy, prophecy builds others up by com- communicating divine revelation for them, tongues doesn't build other listeners up. It builds the individual up. And there's something about tongues that he says he wishes every single believer would have. And so what are they? What are these things? I want to begin with what they're not. I already mentioned it, but a common misconception around this idea of tongues is that they're the evidence or the proof of an individual being baptized. And that word baptized just means immersed, soaked, completely dunked in the Holy Spirit. People who hold that tongues are the evidence for baptism in the Holy Spirit, they'll often cite verses like Acts 1. Acts 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, John baptized with water, but I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And then, of course, um, Acts lists out three instances where we see people um, speaking in tongues very closely or directly right after being referred to as baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there's three instances. The first of these I've already mentioned, it's in Acts 2, verse 5 to 13. You can write that down. It's not going to be up on the screen. This is where um, the, Holy, or the disciples, Jesus has died, went to heaven, resurrected, went to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. They're in the upper room. The Holy Spirit breaks in, lands on them in what looks like tongues of flame, and they end up speaking in tongues. That visitors from other nations, they're present, and they hear them praising in their own languages. The second instance they will cite to say that tongues and baptism in the Holy Spirit hold hands, Acts 10, verse 44 to 48. Remember, Peter gets a vision of the tart being let down, all the different animals. He goes to Cornelius' house, prays for him. Cornelius, a Gentile, speaks in tongues. The third instance they will cite is Acts 19, where they come across some disciples of John who didn't even know Jesus had died and resurrected and came back or the Holy Spirit had came. They come across them, they come to faith, and immediately they begin speaking in tongues. And Now, many will take these three instances and they will cite them as a prescription. They will say, therefore, everyone who gets the Holy Spirit will speak in tongues. I used to agree with that, but I can't get there anymore. I used to agree with that because when somebody prayed for me under the pretenses of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I spoke in tongues, which made it really confusing for a long time. But there's three reasons from the scripture, which again is more important than our experience. Three reasons from the scripture, um, I can't get there. These are up on the screen. The first is that while there is three instances in the book of of Acts, there's nine other stories, nine other conversion stories that don't mention speaking in tongues at all. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, um, he he says that not everyone speaks in tongues. This verse will be up on the screens a little later, but but he says, are all apostles? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? It's rhetorical questions he's asking. We already know. No, not everyone does do this. Tongues are a gift, but they are not the gift. Paul proves that to us. While he desires everyone will speak in tongues because it's a great gift, he says not everyone is going to. And so to those who say everyone needs to speak in tongues or everyone needs to prophesy, I don't know that I can get there from the scripture. 
I don't know that just starting to loose your tongue and say random words will lead to you speaking in tongues. In the same way, I don't think you can buy a DVD series or go to Redding, California to a prophetic school and come out a prophet. Because it's not a learned skill, it's a spirit-imparted skill. The third reason that I don't get there from the scriptures is this. The three texts that I, I just read in Acts, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, they make more sense understood a different way to me. When we understand that Acts 2 was the Holy Spirit breaking into the Jewish community, and Acts 10 is the Holy Spirit breaking into the Gentile community, and Acts 19 is the Holy Spirit breaking into the Samaritan community, what we see going on is the Holy Spirit saying, all of these are my people. And the reason there's only three instances in the book of Acts is because there's three different people groups that the Holy Spirit has begun to break into. So I don't believe, because of the scripture, because of my conviction, and maybe you get somewhere else, I am not an authority. I'm not a, the biblical authority, but this is my conviction from the scripture. I don't believe tongues are a universal evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I do believe, I do believe there is something to being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John immersed in water, but you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think being immersed or baptized in the Holy Spirit, though, is when we first receive the Holy Spirit. In the same way, when you're baptized in water, it's not the first time you receive Jesus. It's, an, it's something that evidence, it's an outflowing, an, an obedient outflowing of your relationship with Jesus. Likewise, I believe that this baptism or immersion in the Holy Spirit is the same thing. To quote John Piper, he said this, if the Spirit overwhelms you like a baptism or an immersion, you can't imagine him merely sneaking in quietly while you're asleep and taking up inconspicuous residence. Immersion in the Spirit will have its effects. Acts 1.8 says that we are to be immersed in the Spirit and that it'll give us power. It gives us these gifts to build up and to build out the church of God. And this immersion, I will add this, this immersion or baptism in the Spirit, it's not a one-time event. Ephesians 5.18, Paul commands there the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the original language, this command, it's a, uh, what's called a present imperative, meaning that it's something that you're to do over and over and over. It's not a one-time filling, something that we're to keep doing. So it could be translated and written this way, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and to prove this point, the, the apostles, they're filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, but then... In Acts 4, they're filled again, and then they're filled again, and then they're filled again, and then they're filled again right up to Acts 15, pardon me, 13. So they keep getting filled. Peter keeps getting described as being filled, yet he was filled in Acts 2. Likewise, if we're pouring out through these gifts that the Holy Spirit's given us, these vehicles fueled by love, we're going to need to keep going back and getting fueled. If we're driving our vehicle, we're going to need to keep putting fuel into it. So I've kind of I've went off on a riff of what tongues aren't, but what are they? Um, I already sh uh, shared Sam Storm's definition. There's another one I found. I couldn't find the guy's name, but this is super good. So I'm just going to say it. Um, but I've robbed somebody, just to be clear. The gift of tongues is the spirit of a person enabled by the Spirit of God to pray or to praise God. The Spirit of a man enabled by the Spirit of God to praise and pray to God. I like that. Now, where am I? Pardon me, lost my spot. Some have concluded, um, because of how we see tongues first used in Acts 2, that tongues are an evangelistic language. Um, there could be something to that, but there's enough there that I don't go there. Um, I've, I've heard stories of, um, though I've never met these people, 
of missionaries going into a foreign country and um, miraculously getting a language they could communicate to the nationals in, and as soon as they left, losing that language. That's awesome. Um, I'm not convinced of this, but even if it's so, it's not all tongues are. It's not all tongues are. We know that because Acts 2.11 says that when um, they did hear the apostles speaking in tongues, they heard them declaring the mighty deeds of God, that it was actually Peter's sermon that led them to convert and respond in faith. It wasn't the tongues themselves. The words of the people in Acts 2 is that when they heard tongues in their own language, they heard them praising the mighty deeds of God. We're also going to see that um, Paul says, unless there's an interpreter, they shouldn't be spoken in church. But he says that he speaks in tongues more than anyone else, and he speaks privately. And if it were an evangelistic language, there would be no need to speak it privately. So I can't get to the place where I would say tongues is de facto or solely an evangelistic language. And, and then, of course, there's many other scriptures in the New Testament that refer to tongues as languages of angels and men. So they're not just languages of men. Confused yet? Yeah, okay. Thanks, Mark. Make me feel good. Um, they can be difficult to understand. This can be difficult to understand because these are different. Tongues are different than any other gift. They might be in a unique class of their own. Um, Paul says in chapter 12, verse 7, that their gifts are given for the common good, but then in 14, he says that prophecies build up the body, but tongues build up the individual. So gifts are for the whole body, but he, 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 Paul straight up says, hey, tongues, they just, they're to bless and edify the individual. So how does it build up the individual? Why would the Holy Spirit give a gift for private use? Why would he give a gift that doesn't edify the whole body? Well, there's many things we do that don't edify the whole body. When I read my Bible on my own, it doesn't edify all of you immediately, but it edifies me individually. And the body parts, when they're built up, do benefit the whole. In the same way, a football player who works out and keeps himself fit is benefiting the whole team, though he's edifying and building up himself when he works out. But how do they, how do they, meaning tongues, how do tongues build up the individual? Listen to what Paul says in verse 14 here. He says, if I pray in a tongue, catch this, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What will I do? I'll, I'll, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. Two things he's pointing out here to us that I want us to notice. One, tongues are for praise and for prayer. It's listed right there. Tongues are for praise and for prayer. And in Jude 20, we see this. He says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude lays it right out. Build yourselves up in your faith by praying. But then in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul says, I'll pray with my spirit. I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing with my spirit. I'll sing with my mind also. In 14, verse 16, he describes tongues as giving thanks. And in Acts 2, I've listed it a whole bunch of times, the foreigners hearing the tongues in their own language, said that they heard the apostles declaring the praises of God. But why not just sing and pray in your own language? Why a different language? Why do you need a language that you can't even comprehend? Well, and this is the second point that I noticed from this text. It says that tongues are not something that our mind prays, but something that our spirit prays. And this is going to make more sense as we read the following verse. It's up on the screen, Romans 8. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches hearts. He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Man, is that good. Let the outlandishness of that set in for just a second. The Holy Spirit prays what you don't know to pray for, that your mind can't even comprehend. We may not even have the mental faculties to be able to express it. It's good. It reminds me of stories from the Old Testament, the Israelites going into a nation, God sending an angel to just slay an army in front of them do a work that they couldn't have radically outnumbered, God's like, I got that one. The gift of tongues is the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, praying what we couldn't, what we don't know how in a language that more carefully expresses and maybe acutely expresses what our actual need is. How many of us, you've tried to press into prayer and you just feel like you're hitting a wall? Nothing can come out. This happens to me all the time. I go out for a prayer walk, and it just sucks. It takes me so long, and I'm like, I've prayed like four sentences. It's so hard. The gift of the Holy Spirit praying for us is it, it's, it helps us in this. It's almost the opposite of not being able to catch your breath. It's like when you can't let everything out, you can't get all your breath out of you. The Holy Spirit like ventilates your spirit for you. That's what the gift of tongues is. Again, this book, I want to read from it for just a sec. So I thought this was really helpful. Um, Sam Storm says, Speaking in tongues is a way of compensating for our weakness and ignorance and praying for ourselves and others. For example, we can pray in tongues when our minds wander and we struggle to focus or concentrate or when we're physically tired and weary or when people distract us and there's noise around us, moms. When we think we've run out of things to pray for, we're going, what's left? Or when we pray, or when things we pray for are not readily coming to mind, we can pray in the spirit. When we don't know someone's pain or problem or how to pray for them, we can pray in the spirit. When we feel inadequate to intercede for them, we can pray in the spirit. Confident that the Holy Spirit will articulate through us to the Father precisely their most urgent needs. I love that. Love that. What a gift. What a blessing this is when understood that way. No wonder Paul tells us to earnestly desire it. It's in a class all its own because all the other gifts are for the building up of the body corporately. But this builds up the individual builds up God's kingdom inside the individual. But that's also why Paul lays down some criteria, why he lays down some guidelines for how it should be used in a corporate context. I already, I already used the analogy of the football player working out benefits not just himself but the whole body. Um, likewise, all of us, we should work out. We really, we should all be working out. It's great for us, but hear me. I don't want to hear about your workouts. I don't want to hear about your workouts. Please don't work out in front of me. <laughs> don't bring your chin-up bar to my house. Um, and also, don't wear those thin-strapped shirts, guys. Those are weird. That might rock your boat. It doesn't rock mine. <laughs> what benefits you and builds you up individually doesn't always build up the people around you. Some of us, we need to know that, too. I mean, if, if Jordan got up here and took his guitar and just started whacking it and doing like throat singing or something, it would make no sense. I mean, the keyboard would be like, what the heck? Because it doesn't work with the rest of what the band's doing. The gifts need to work cohesively with everything else going on. What edifies the individual doesn't always build everyone up in the corporate setting. It might actually detract. To everyone else, this can look a lot like showboating. It could look like pride. It makes me think of um, Jesus' parable about the Pharisee who prays loudly in public. He's doing a great thing, just not needed in the public square. 
Likewise, there's some things that we do to edify ourselves that shouldn't take place in a corporate context. It makes sense, I think. You can read on, verse 6 to 8, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Anyone else's kid learning the recorder? I don't think that those instruments can play a single note. It's like a squeaking cacophony of noise, right? It's terrible. It's <laughs> It sounds a lot like needless noise. If it was to try to play with the rest of the band here, it would just detract. It would just detract. They're neat. What he's saying, if this is played, it needs to be distinct. It needs to be beneficial. Otherwise, it's just going to muddy it up. That's what he's getting at here. The bugle gives an indistinct sound. Who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? for you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, but none's without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the whole church. Paul actually goes so far in verse 19 to say he'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in a tongue because it's more beneficial to the whole body. This tells us something, and this is important to note. This might be news to some people. When you speak in tongues, you can control it. You can control when you speak in tongues, or he wouldn't say, don't do it. Now, growing up, I heard people regularly pushing back against this. Oh, I, I can't control when the Holy Spirit would speak through me. But the same people, I mean... I, went to work with them, or like out to the grocery store, they weren't just like, shut up, didn't happen. You can control it in the grocery store lineup. Why not in church? Just saying. In verse 32, Paul says, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. They're not purely ecstatic. If they were uncontrollable, it would be like an arm on the body just starting to do this, wouldn't ser which explains a lot of my other charismatic experience too, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't serve, <laughs> sorry, it's almost too easy. Um, it wouldn't serve the rest of the body well. And Paul has clearly laid out the gifts are meant to work in unison and help the whole body Paul says in verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. It's controllable. And if it's to happen at all, only a couple, he says. Don't feel like it has to, but if it does, control it. Only a few. And he goes on to say, each in turn and let someone interpret. Therefore, verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may Interpret who? He. Pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, and my mind's unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving? There again, tongues are thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying. For you may well be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words in my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Catch that. The beginning of that, he says that he may interpret. Now, in chapter 12, he said, to one is given the spirit-empowered gift of speaking in tongues, to another um, the ability to interpret. But when we read it together with verse or chapter 14, where 
what really stuck out to me this week where I'm, I'm kind of landing is that I think that these two things are actually like gift sets within a gift. I think the one who speaks in a tongue will, may also have that gift of interpretation if that gift is to be used in a public context, which takes some of the questioning around, hey, should I get up and speak this tongue? It, it takes some of that questioning away because now it's like, well, do you have the gift of interpretation? I may be wrong, so want to give the benefit of the doubt on that, though, too. Um, but it sounds to me like interpretation is a gift within a gift, kind of like you have to be able to speak Japanese if you want to be a Japanese interpreter. Just to clarify, though, tongues is not a language where you can just learn to interpret it. This is a spirit-empowered, spirit-enabled gift. It's a spiritual gift. But what, what is the content of the tongue? It's another question I think we should have. What is actually being said by our spirit? Is it prophecy? For that a lot. Um, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. Um, and I'll explain why in a second. But tongues, here's how I'm understanding it. Tongues are the spirit enabling us to, to pray upward Prophecy comes down from God as enabled by the Spirit. Tongues go up to God as enabled by the Spirit. Prophecy comes down from God as enabled by the Spirit. And we'll get into that next week. Um, but I think if the Holy Spirit were to provide an interpretation, what we would hear is something um, more along the lines of the Psalms. Thanksgiving. Prayer, intercession, exaltation. So not exhortation, like a prophecy. So I don't think we're going to have an interpretation of a, of a tongue and somebody gets up and says, thus saith the Lord. I think it's going to get up and it's going to sound a lot more like David, praising God for his known attributes, interceding for the things going on in his heart, just like all the Psalms. And, and, and this makes sense. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. Um, I didn't ask my wife about this beforehand, but um, I'm getting in trouble. My wife has interpreted tongues that she's spoken. But outside of that, I've only seen an interpretation of tongues. In the thousands of times that I've seen tongues spoken, I've only seen one interpretation. One interpretation. But it fit right into this grid work is exalting God, praising God. And it's awesome when I witnessed that, and I've only, I've, I've only witnessed that once. It was amazing. And I was just, I was shouting, amen. It's so good. It's like the spirit writing a psalm. It's not scripture, but it's great. It's so great. Sure, I have spent a lot of time praying this week, praying and fasting um, asking the Holy Spirit, asking God how this good gift could begin moving in our church. How I, I could encourage those in the room um, who do have this gift to begin to use it in a way that would build you up and hopefully even build up our body. And I, I want to give us a bit of a picture, I think, of what the Spirit's impressed on me that could look like. Um, I don't think that I am the exception in this room. I know there are others who have received this gift and you failed to utilize it fully. You've hidden it away. Maybe you've never even told someone you have it. Maybe you feel like I have a ton of stigma. On behalf of the Shore Church, if we've been part of any of that stigmatization, I want to say I'm really sorry. I'm sorry, because this is a gift from the Spirit that was meant to build you up. The gift is designed as a blessing. It's literally the Holy Spirit enabling you to pray what you didn't know what to pray that wouldn't have been possible apart from his empowering that's a gift, and that needs to be utilized more individually. We need to press into that and go, how do we begin to utilize that in our own personal prayer lives? How do we begin to really, 
like just mine the depths of this gift because it's a great gift meant to build you up. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's given you a, pa- a gift and you've never taken it out of the package. It's just sitting there in the back of your closet. And I want to invite you and encourage you and urge you, lean in hard to it. There are countless places for you to begin to use this, and I want to encourage you to find more ways. Remember, whereas prophecy comes, is the Spirit empowering something to come down from God? Tongues is the Spirit enabling a prayer up to God. It's a great gift. And there's depths in prayer that we need to begin to mine. From there, I think that there's lots of other avenues for it to begin to move out from there. And it's going to begin there. And then it'll begin to flow out, perhaps in your community group, perhaps in a prayer group you're in, maybe when you're praying for somebody. Now, some people just got really, really uncomfortable. I know that, but I can't conclude from scripture that outside of the Sunday corporate gathering, tongue shouldn't be spoken. Tongue shouldn't be spoken from here. Actually, if you take a look at the tongues being spoken, um, in, when it fell in Cornelius's house in Acts 10, there was no interpreter. When it was spoken by the, by, um, the Samaritans in Acts 19, there was no interpreter. I can't come to the conclusion from the text itself, and I may be wrong, and maybe you just need to come show me after. I can't come to the conclusion that this is something that you should never speak around someone, at least not from the text. How many of us, you've been praying for someone and you've just felt that deep, guttural burden? Don't even know what to pray. Never mind just your own prayer life. I get to pray with lots of people. Someone will come up and tell you something that happened, and all I can do is go like, Oh, and I don't even have words. What if the Holy Spirit could speak for you in that moment? Maybe it's silent. Maybe it's under your breath. Maybe it's just right out loud. Now, I wouldn't do that in front of somebody who's not a believer. They're going to look at you like you just lost your marbles. But to somebody who understands what a gift this is, someone who understands the context of 1 Corinthians 14 and the spirit gifts and 1 Corinthians 12, why not? Why not if this is actually what the gift is? Now, I could be way off. I'm willing to be wrong. This is our authority. But even if I am, we need to acknowledge some mistakes will be made, and I think that's okay. Paul is writing to Corinthians who have um, who've been making some mistakes with this, and he doesn't write and say, shut her down. He says, let's provide some guidelines for this. Our problem, short church, is not overexpression. It's under. Some of us have been held back by fear and stigma that the Bible doesn't put on us, and I want to invite you to please be freed from that. From there to our Sunday morning gatherings, if you have this gift and you feel that burning, that desire like the Holy Spirit wants you to speak, I want to call you to do two things. The very first one, I want you to pray that you would be able to interpret it. If you have this gift and you're feeling that, pray that you'd be able to interpret it. And I don't think that's going to happen a whole lot here. But maybe, and, and we want to be open to it, right? If God has something to give us, why would we not want to open that? We believe all the gifts of the Spirit continue, and we want to see all of them in action. And, and the biggest thing I want to emphasize for us this morning is that this is an unbelievably great gift that Paul says we are to eagerly desire and we need to begin eagerly desiring it. Um, I want to invite the band up. Um, Jordan, when you guys get up, you can just start to play. Um, 
I want to invite us all as well, if you would stand. I don't want to put anyone on the spot. I know you're all thinking, oh, here he goes. No one leaves the gathering. Um, so <laughs> that's not where I'm going. That's not where I'm going. I don't believe this is for every single person, but I want it for every single person. But I want all of the gifts. And as a posture from all of us, just in obedience to what Paul said at the beginning, to eagerly desire the gifts, I want to encourage us, before you come up for communion, to just pray this one thing. Father, I want all that you have for me. And that's it. Father, I want all that you have for me. I'm not going to push this on you. I suspect there's, there's some here. The Spirit's going to speak and challenge you. He's going to remind you of something that happened to you years ago when he gave you this gift, and you've been burying it. Others, I, I wouldn't be surprised if God gave this gift. I don't know what that looks like. I've only seen that done bad. But as a way of properly posturing, let's just, like, if you want something, pray and ask God. I don't think it hurts to pray and ask God for a specific gift. If you have a gift that you want to fan into flame more, I want to encourage you to pray that out too. What does it look like to operate, to, to blow the gas in on this? We're going to have a couple, or James and Dale, I think you'll be in the corner praying. We'll have a prayer couple here as well. Let's just lean in on that one thing. Father, what do you have for me? I'm going to close this in prayer in a second. Um, but we'll also have communion servers here. The gifts do not make us super special Christians or super empowered. Like, it's nothing weird like that. The only thing, the only thing that makes us special is God's grace on us, and that's what we're going to celebrate now in, uh, in, in what Christ did on the cross for us. He died, he took our sin, which is the greatest grace gift of all. Then he went to heaven and he, he will send gifts. But we're going to commemorate, we're going to remember, we're going to celebrate what he did on the cross by taking the bread, dipping it in the wine, and, and encourage you again, take a moment in prayer before you do that. The band will lead us in song and someone will be up on the back end with a little bit of instruction on how to give in response as well. Let me close us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. You are a great gift giver. Thank you for the gift of your son who came, took our, our punishment, our shame, our guilty title, gifted us his righteous title. And thank you for the great gifts that you give your children. I pray for that individual who is feeling like they've been bearing a gift for a lot of years and they're a little hesitant about beginning to use it or stepping out. They're feeling the stigma and the shame, and I've come against that in the name of Christ. This is a good gift from God, and I want to see these operate again. I pray you'd come and give fresh gifts, new gifts, but that you would also fan old ones into flame. Holy Spirit, I plead for your presence now. I pray in the name of Christ, amen.